Welcome to the FBCLB podcast, where you'll find the preaching of Dave Delaney, pastor of the First Baptist Church of Long Beach. Thanks for listening. Galatians chapter number five. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, there should be one uh, in the seat near or around you. Maybe in the back, right there in front of you. Perhaps it's maybe the closest one might be behind you. If you don't have a Bible at all, that would be our gift to you. We would love for you to take that with you as you go from this place this morning. We believe there's nothing more important than having a copy of God's Word in your hand. That way you can read for yourself and see if the preacher is saying exactly what God's Word says. All right. So we are in Galatians chapter 5. Across the top of the page, you're going to look for the word Galatians. And it's called Galatians because this is one letter that is written to the churches that were in the area of the world known as Galatia. Okay, so the area of the world we live in is known as Southern California. So they're writing a letter to the churches in that area of the world. That's why it's called the Galatians. They were in big number five, little number six. That's chapter five little number six, which is called a verse. You say, Pastor, why is that there? Well, that's there so we can all know exactly where the other person is when we're reading God's Word together, okay? So Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. In fact, if you found your place and you're willing and able, let's stand together out of respect for the reading of God's Word. There's an easy way to understand this chapter. It flows out in three ways. What the Apostle Paul is going to teach us is going to say that the Spirit-filled life, the Spirit-filled life, what you and I would know as the Christian life, this is what it looks like. This is what the Christian life looks like. It looks like three things. The Spirit-filled life is one, that is one of conflict. The Spirit-filled life is one of contrast. And the spiritual life is one of conquest. Okay, so that's how it's an easy way to understand verse 16 down to verse 26. You've got to see the outline as we read it. See if you can identify the areas as we begin reading in verse 16. So this I say then. Okay, so that's, that's important, important to note that. After I've said everything else, this is what I say then. Or... How we would understand that is because of everything else I just said. Because of everything else I just taught about justification by faith through grace in Christ alone. Because of everything else I just said about you have a relationship with God, not of your own good works, but because of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. So because of everything else I said, here's what I, here's what I am now saying. So this I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. But, if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, 
That word manifest is, literally means or known, okay? So the works of the flesh are known, which are these. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envies, murders, drunkenness, revelings. Are you, aren't you glad he did not add complaining in traffic? <laughs> did, that's not in there, okay? So revelings and such like, of the which I tell you before, as I have told you in times past. So Paul's saying, I've already told you this once, but I'm going to tell you it again. That they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering. That's, that's, that's our word for patience. Gentleness. Now that's our word for kindness. Goodness. Faith. Meekness. Temperance. That's our word for self-control. Against such, there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and the lust. And if... So, so look here. It, that word if is, 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 is it's used in the sense like because. Okay? So he's saying is because we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. And let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another, envying one another. So, so here's, here's the aim today. What does it mean to live the Christian life? What does it mean for you and for me to live a Spirit-filled life? What does that mean? What, what's the expectation from God's Word for you and for me, on following after or going after living the life that God would have for you and for me. I would just tell you my aim for you, my aim for myself in this, is that we would learn to walk in the Spirit. My aim is not merely information. My aim is action. Well, what does it mean, Pastor, to walk in the Spirit then? It means that we should be obedient to the Spirit of God as He shows us the Word of God which is necessary in all matters of faith and godliness. So my aim is that we would see God's Word and that we would obey God's Word and then that in being obedient to God's Word that would evidence or that would show or that would be the proof that we are full and walking in the Spirit. Our Heavenly Father, we thank You for today. Father, we thank You for Your Word. Teach us great things from Your Word today. And in Jesus' name we pray. And all the church said together, Amen. Amen. How many of you enjoyed your extra hour of sleep last night? Let me see. Raise your hand. How many of you wasted your extra hour of sleep because you stayed up an hour later watching movies? Let me see. Raise your hand. Okay. I want you sleeping in church today. You got an extra hour, alright? Here it is. What? does Paul tell us that the Spirit-filled life looks like? And here's what he says. Here's the Spirit-filled life, verse 16. 
Walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So, the Spirit-filled life, or the Christian life, the life lived by Christians is one where we have, yes, been forgiven of our sins, and one where we have, yes, um, received the good work that the Lord Jesus Christ has done on the cross, but also one in which we are obedient to God's Word and to God's Spirit. So in this, ca- in this section, you have two categories. You have what the Apostle Paul identifies as the flesh, and you have what the Apostle Paul identifies as the Spirit. And these two categories are, are absolutely opposed to each other. In fact, look what he says in verse number 17. Look at the very end of the verse. So that ye cannot do the things that ye would. So, so it keeps you, because you have these two categories, flesh and spirit, they keep you from doing the things that you want to do. Either the flesh keeps you from doing the things of the Spirit, or the things of the Spirit keep you from doing the things of the flesh. So they're, they're working in this way in conflict with each other. That's really where we see the very beginning part of our outline, how it is in conflict. There's this war. There's this struggle that there are things. Here's what he's saying. There are things in the flesh that we want to do in this human life with our natural desires, with our natural proclivities, with our natural tendencies. There are things in this life that we want to do, but we should not do them. There are things that we want to do, that we feel like doing, that we feel like would be a good thing, There are things that we want to do in this life, but in fact, we ought not. We should not. Look at the verse again, verse 17. So that ye cannot do the things that ye would. This is is why we have to resist this dominant culture uh, framework where it says our feelings equal behavior. Our world says, however you feel equals what you should do. If it feels like you should do it, then you should do it. If it feels good, then you should do it. I told you last week about the sign I saw over here on Atlantic. Your feelings are your superpower. And this is what the world says. However you feel about something. The, the, the culture of the day says, however you feel about something, that is justification. That is why you should or should not do something. Feelings equal behavior, or is equals ought. That's, that's what our world says. It's a, you, many Christians believe the same thing, by the way. Many Christians believe the same thing, that because you have this feeling, that that equals that you should then do it, or it makes it right in doing it. Well, why does God give me desires, some argue, if God does not want me to fulfill those desires? Well, why did God give me feelings if God does not want me to act on my feelings? Well, well why am I attracted to a person of the same sex if... God does not want me 
to indulge myself and go after that because I have the feeling that must mean that's what God wants me to do. Or uh, I have these sexual desires, I have these proclivities, I have these tendencies, and so because I have them, that must mean that, that God wants me to enjoy them. Now, this, is where, this is the way many people think. And what, what the Apostle Paul is saying is, no, you have, you have two forces at, in conflict with each other, the flesh, the spirit, and they're working against each other. They're contrary one to the other so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. Which is to say that there are feelings you have that you should not follow through on because they are in conflict to the Spirit of God in your life. That there are feelings you have that you should not act out. Why? Because it is not in the way in which God's Word tells you and me to live. That's why. Your feelings are not your superpower. Your feelings should not equal your behavior. It's a, very, it's a very easy explanation for this, and here's one of them. Imagine or, or just think back the last 10 years of your life on all the ways your feelings have changed. Your feelings are always in flux. Your feelings are always changing. In fact, you probably feel different now than you did five minutes ago. Your feelings are always lying to you. Look, five minutes ago, you were feeling like, hey, it's a good thing I'm in church. And now here we are five minutes later, and you're feeling like, man, it's not such a good thing that I'm in church. So your feelings are always in flux. Your feelings are always changing. Your feelings are always up and then down, up and then down, up and then down. And so this is why your feelings cannot be, they cannot call the shot. They are not the superpower. They are not the justifier for what you do or don't do in this life. And Paul is saying the same thing. There are these, one corner, you have the spirit. The other corner, you have the flesh. And these are working, the spirit and the flesh are working against each other. And oftentimes in your life and in mine, the reason why we do or don't do certain things is because these two things are in war with each other. In fact, he says it in this way. The one corner where the spirit is, he says in verse 16, walk in the spirit. He says in verse 18, led by the Spirit. He says in verse 25, live by the Spirit, and then also walk by the Spirit. He says it again. All of those are, are synonyms for be, be controlled by the Spirit of God. All of those are the, they're the same, they're the meaning is be controlled by the Spirit of God. So, so a pastor from a few decades ago would always ask his congregation this, are you right now controlled by the Spirit of God? You know, are you right now controlled by, led by, walking in, keeping step with, keeping up with the Holy Spirit of God in your life? This is, it's ultimately, this is not about a certain personality type. So being controlled by the Spirit is not, well, you have a very... Um, uh, demonstrative personality or, or you have a very spontaneous personality or, or you have a very mellow personality. You're, you're pretty chill most of the time. Being controlled by the Spirit is not about a personality type, but being controlled by the Spirit is a, a specific marking of Christ-like character. You say, Pastor, what does being controlled by the Spirit 
What does it look like in my life? Well, how should that make me be? Oh, controlled by the Spirit. That must mean I walk around and I hum all day long. Some people think that. Well, I, I'm, I'm not wired that way. I don't walk around in a hum all day long. Be controlled by the Spirit. What does it mean? Well, he tells you what it means. Look at verse number 25, 22. The fruit of the Spirit is. So someone who is being controlled by the Spirit is evidencing these things in their life. Their character, their behavior, their attitude, their spirit. It looks like this, which is what? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, or patience, gentleness, or kindness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, or self-control. These are evidenced in our lives as an indicator or an evidence that we are being controlled by, walking in, being led by, whatever that analogy for you is, by the Spirit of God in our lives. Then verse 24... And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lust. So in the one corner, you have the Spirit of God. And in the other corner, you have the flesh. And he tells you what the flesh looks like. That's really verse 19 all the way down to verse number 21. And he goes down this long list of how the flesh manifests itself. Okay, the word manifest is the word makes known. How the flesh is made known in our lives. How is the flesh made known? It's made known through these. That's what he says. It's made known through these things. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envies, murders, drunkenness, revelings. And then, and then he adds this clause, just in case I missed any, and such the like. So it's an interesting phrase to add there, isn't it? And such the like. So, so anything, that, anything that looks like this, here's what he's saying, that there is inside of us this sense of right and wrong. And such the like. There is inside of you, there is inside of me this, like a common sense you could call it that. There's this leading this convicting of the Spirit of God in our lives and such the like so that there is a sense about right and about wrong. And my mom would always say it this way, David, if it's in doubt, leave it out. How many of you have ever heard that before, right? And what, is she, what is she saying then? Is she saying that there is this sense in you where you know well, I don't see a Bible verse about it. Yeah, but there's this sense where you know that this is not Christ-like character. Well, I'll go, show me a chapter and verse. But there's this sense in you where you know that this is not becoming of someone who says that they belong to Jesus. This is not becoming or, or right for someone to do who says that Jesus lives in their heart. This is the becoming of someone who says they're a child of God and such the like. It's a very interesting phrase. So there is certainly in anyone who has the Spirit of God in his life things that are plainly obvious as contrary to the Word of God, to the will of God, 
and to the work of God. And then look at the end of verse 21. And of which I tell you before, as I have told you in time past. That's a way of saying. These are the things that look like manifestations of the flesh, as I've already explained to you. So I'm going to explain it to you again. That's what he's saying. So, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Now those are strong words, are they not? That they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. What does that mean? Well, what does it mean then to have inside of us this contrary, conflicting flesh versus spirit and the Spirit's made known this way, the flesh is made known that way, and those who give themselves over to this, it's an evidence that the Spirit of God is not residing in their heart and in their life. So two ideas this morning. Number one, notice, how should we then live the Spirit-filled life? How should we live the Christian life? Well, number one, notice, you have an outline so you can follow along with us. And I want you to jot ideas down. If you have questions, man, we're always open and, and willing to answer any questions that you might have from the, from, the, uh, from the sermons throughout the week. If you email us, you can find us in the lobby. We'd be more than happy to answer. But notice number one, how do we live the Spirit for your life? Well, number one, live out the desires of the Spirit. Live out the desires of the Spirit. So, verse number 16, walk in the Spirit. The idea of walking in the Spirit means literally order your life in a way that is consistent with God's character and that is consistent with God's Word. So you, you cannot miss the fact that in this verse, verse, our, our wills, our decisions are, are at play. They're heavily involved in the process of living according to the Spirit. What it, what it simply means is it implies effort. It implies consistently. It, it, consistency, rather. It implies that you and I make decisions in our lives. We make choices in our lives where we choose to live by the Spirit and away from what is natural, what, are, what is sinful, what, what, the, what the text calls fleshly. The other way. So you walk in the Spirit. Make a consistent, continual, uh, conscious, effort-driven decision to say, I'm going to respond this way. I'm not going to respond that way because this way is in line with the Spirit and that way is in line with the flesh. So he's saying, choose this. You live according to this. Walk in the Spirit. Like make, it, make the choice to walk in the Spirit. It's a great practice for you, for me, in my life in the morning to wake up and say, Lord, I want to walk in your Spirit today. It's a great practice when you get in your car and you start it and you go, Lord, I want to walk in your Spirit today. It's a, great, it's a great practice when you get in traffic to go, Lord, I want to drive in your spirit today. Well, what are we doing? We're yielding ourselves to that. We're making a conscious decision. We're not just doing what feels natural, what feels normal, the natural way in which we go. We're consciously, consistently making these decisions. 
And notice two things then under this desire to, to, to live out according to the Spirit. Notice the, the commands are opposed by our sinful nature. Walk in the Spirit, and what happens when you do that? Well, you will not, you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh, for the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. So here's what the Bible just said. At war in you and me right now is the, the Spirit and the flesh. And they are opposed to each other. The goal of the Spirit is not the goal of the flesh. And the goal of the flesh is not the goal of the Spirit. Where the Spirit is taking you is not where the flesh is taking you. And where the flesh is taking you is not where the Spirit of God is taking you. And so, as, as we read God's Word, as we proclaim God's Word, as we go line by line through God's Word, you're listening to God's Word, and in your heart, there's this wrestling between the Spirit of God, which testifies to the Word of God, and the flesh, which is rebellious toward the Word of God. And so, in you, right now, and in me, right now, what's going on is we're listening to God's Word, you're hearing what God's Word says, you're, you're listening to it as it's proclaimed and preached, and, and you're going, I, just, I, don't know I, I don't know if I like that idea. I like different ideas about God. And, 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 and the God that I know, He isn't like that. That's not the God that I have. Right? And all of a sudden we start managing and micromanaging, whittling God down, so that He is no God at all, but an idol. So, so if we can manage God so we can fit him in our pocket and that he fits in with our paradigms and our cultural structures because I don't like that God would do that and who knows and who's... Listen, we, this happens inside of you and me all the time. So that they're opposed to each other. But notice there are, there are markedly different outcomes from the contract, from, from the conflict. You can compare verse 19 to verse 21. You can compare verse 22 down to verse number 23. That it, when you walk one way, it looks like this. And when you walk the other way, it looks like that. And those two could not be farther from each other. They're, the word he uses is contrary to the other. It's like North Pole, South Pole. They're completely different. They're completely opposed to each other. They're markedly different outcomes, not just in this life, but they're also markedly different outcomes because of the path that they both take. So the path of the flesh, when you just do what you want, when you want, however you want, the path of the flesh leads you away. What are you saying? And then the path of the Spirit of God in your heart leads you toward. So, so that, by contrast, if you are not controlled by the Spirit, if you are not walking with the Spirit, but if you are walking in accordance with the flesh, you will not, what he says, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's what he says. Okay, so let me, let me, let me add a word here. Good works are not necessary for salvation. Good works do not earn us salvation. Paul has spent four chapters, and I've spent three months going through that saying, good works are not necessary for salvation. Salvation is by grace through faith in Christ alone. And anyone who tells you that you need good works in order to be saved 
preaches the anti-gospel. It's no gospel at all. But good works and obedience to God will be evidenced, will be desired in those who have received salvation. So, so think of it this way. Good works are not the cause for why you got salvation. But good works are the effect of salvation taking place in your heart and life. Good works did not merit you salvation. Good works did not earn you salvation. Good works did not buy you salvation. But if you have received salvation from God by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus, guess what will be in your life? Good works. This is what he says. Hebrews chapter 12, verse number 14. Follow or pursue or strive or go after peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. Okay, so you remember, remember the whole idea we did in chapter 3? There's this idea of being justified. You're declared right by the judge of the universe. He picks up the gavel, he slams it down, and because you have placed your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and Christ alone, you are in that moment justified with God. You're given a right standing in the eyes of the Lord. You're justified. And then, we, then the Apostle Paul says, man, and God has made for you and for me an inheritance that God has promised to you and to me an inheritance which is, which is incorruptible, which never passes away. That's called glorification, right? That's the minute or the moment that we see the Lord Jesus Christ on the other side of this life. And in that place, you will be all that you were supposed to be. But in between justification and glorification, where we're living now is called sanctification. Where we are living out this life that we have remaining, that we have left. And what the Apostle Paul is saying is, those who have received the Holy the, 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 those who have received salvation by grace through faith because of Jesus, you inherited or, or you're justified, you're adopted into the family of God, that as you live out the rest of your life, it will be marked. It will be identified with these things, moving you and me toward glorification. This is the same thing he's saying here. When Jesus in John chapter 14, go to John chapter 14, I want you to see it. So go back toward like the middle of the Bible and you'll see John the book of John, John chapter 14. You, you'll remember John chapter 3, verse 16. That's one of the most famous verses in all of the Bible. But in John chapter 14, look, look at verse number 15. Everyone there? Look at verse 15. If ye love me, keep my commandments. Okay, so watch. It's not the other way around, is it? It's not reverse order. It's, it is not, if you keep my commandments, you love me. That's not what he says. He said, that's what false religion says. False religion says, if you want, if you want love from God, you got to do all these things. No, no, no. If you love me, keep my commandments. Not, keep my commandments, then you'll love me. Because it's not backwards. But if you love me, if you put your faith and trust in me, if this is actually what 
what you're testifying you did is in fact what you did. Then, what does he say? Then keep my commandments. Okay, so, so the question then becomes, how? How do we, in our flesh, where this war is taking place, how do we do what we know the Holy Spirit of God would want us to do and not do the things that we desire to do, the things that come easy, the things that come natural? How do we give ourselves to love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, against such there is no law, and avoid all those other things in verse 19 to 21? I guess, so we, do we sit around all day going, I, I love my neighbor, I love my neighbor, I love my neighbor, I don't hate my neighbor, I don't hate my neighbor. Man, I really hate my neighbor. This is like a person who's on a diet. Remember that New Year's resolution you made 11 months ago? Don't worry, there's a new opportunity coming for you to make a new one. I'm not going to eat anything bad. I'm going to stay away from glazed donuts and sugar. I'm going to stay away from all of that. And I'm not eating any, only, only eating healthy. I just want to go to Krispy Kreme and I just want to watch the donuts go down that beautiful escalator of glaze. But I'm not eating them, Pastor. I will not eat that because I have made a commitment to not eat bad things. But wow, look at that glaze. It's like a waterfall of glaze. I just want to lay on the rollers and go underneath that and just drink that glaze, right? But, I, but I'm on a diet. I don't eat that kind of stuff. But can I just smell it? Can I just have one to smell? I'm not buying it. I just want to just sniff it and you can put it right back in the box. Okay, can I just touch it and lick my fingers because I didn't actually eat the donut, but those, the glaze was left over as a residue. How many of you realize that that's not a good idea if you're on a diet, right? Well, why? Because the evidence, the desires. So, so, so how do we obey God? How are we obedient? I've got this war inside of me, the flesh versus the spirit. How do I obey God? Because I, because I know I put my faith and trust in God. I, I know he justified me in the, the eyes of the judge of the universe. I'm justified. I know he's reserved for me an inheritance which cannot be taken away, which will not be taken away, which is preserved for me, incorruptible. No man plucks me out of my father's hands. I belong to him. So, so, so now, how do I live this out? And I, how do I become obedient to him? Look, if you love me, keep my commandments. So then he tells you how in verse number 16. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. That word comforter literally means help or guide or counselor. Okay, so Jesus says, don't worry, God will send a, a comforter, a guide, a counselor. And what will he do? Well, he'll stay with you forever. That's what he'll do. It's, it's Ephesians 1, the sealing of the Holy Spirit of God in our hearts, which keeps us till the day where we see Jesus face to face. So then he says, so, so who's the comforter? Who's the guide? Who's the counselor? Verse 17, even the spirit of truth. So Christ's commands are opposed our, by our sinful desires. Let it be. Christ's commands cannot be obeyed in our own strength. The way you go from the works of the flesh to the fruit of the Spirit in your life is through the Holy Spirit of God in your life and mine, which you received when you placed your faith and trust 
in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit of God is not something that's secondary to placing your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. There's entire movements that's believes. Okay, okay, you have faith. Okay, you believe in Jesus. But now you have to do all this good stuff in order to get the Holy Spirit of God in your life. No! You are given the Holy Spirit of God at the moment of justification or at the moment where you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, where you put your faith and trust in Him, you were declared right by the judge of the universe, the Holy Spirit of God was given to you and given to me. And in that sense, we yield ourselves. We're controlled by the Holy Spirit of God as we go through the rest of our lives. Which is to say, you cannot be indifferent to obedience to God. You cannot be indifferent toward obeying God's Word. It, to be like Jesus is to be obedient because even Jesus was obedient. My will is, not to, do the, my will is to do the will of Him that sent me. That Jesus humbled Himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. So to be like Jesus is to be obedient to the will, the word, and the way of God Himself. So how do, how do we do that? Live according to the desires of the Spirit. Letter number two, live under the leadership of the Spirit. Verse 18, go back to, go back to Galatians. Verse 5, verse 18. But if ye be led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Okay, so watch. Good works are possible and good works are pleasing to God. And sometimes as believers, we have, sometimes we always speak negatively about good works. We always speak negatively about good works. There, there can be two errors here. Hear me. There can be two errors here. One is, when someone says good works, what we think is we think, well, good works only equal trying to earn your salvation. Well, if by good works you mean trying to earn your salvation, well then no, you do not need those good works. Right? But we can also talk about good works in another sense. Right? Well, Pastor Isaiah, the book of Isaiah says, our righteousness, our good works, is as filthy rags. Right? How many of you remember that verse? And how many of you ever heard somebody say that verse about good works? See? You might as well not even try. Because even if you try, it... It's filthy rags anyway, right? But if you actually read that chapter, that chapter is not talking about good works from a believer's standpoint. That chapter is talking about good works as trying to earn salvation from God. Like getting dressed up for church is something God looks at and goes, oh wow, this person's really spiritual. Give him eternal life. No, it doesn't do that. God sees through that kind of superficial good work. God sees through superficial good work. But so, sometimes what happens is we think, Good works only mean you're trying to get to heaven by your good works. Of which we uniformly say absolutely no. You cannot get to heaven on your own. You cannot get to heaven because of your own good works. You only get to heaven through, by faith, through grace in the Lord Jesus Christ and Him alone. But also, it does mean that if you do belong to Jesus, there is a good work in your life. Hear, hear, this, hear this one. I want, you, I want you to write this quote down. It's my favorite line in the entire sermon that I wrote, probably. Here it is. Good works can be truly good without being 
perfectly good. Good works can be truly good without being perfectly good. So here's what we say. Well, good works means salvation. Okay, we don't mean that. Well, then, none of us are perfect. I mean, who here in the room would claim perfection? None of us. Not even the guy that you're listening to talk, right? None of us are good. Well, there's none good. No, not one, right? And so what we, what we do then is we justify, well, nobody's perfect, nobody's good. That's why I do all this stuff I have. And I know stuff about her, and I know stuff about him, and I know stuff about them. So if you're going to talk about me, let's talk about them, right? And we create this huge spirit of, of, of judgmentalism inside of, of our church where we're always just pointing at how everybody else has bad stuff, and that's why I get to have bad stuff too. But, but this, is not, this is not the spirit of God. It's not the Spirit of God that's leading us that way, calling us to that. So good works, even though they are not perfectly good, good works can be good. Let me illustrate it this way. My kids, after a service, they love going to my office, especially when they were smaller. And they love going to my office with me because in my office, literally on, on random shelves, the corners of the desks, even inside the drawers, there were candy, and there was candy everywhere. There still is. So my kids love coming to the office with dad after church. Why? I'm, I'm packing up all my stuff. They're opening all my drawers. They're getting suckers and snicker bars and Reese's Pieces. Right? They're getting all this candy. They're loading their pockets up. And how it normally works out is normally when we get to the, we get to the van, there are two kids with me, two kids with Amanda. Normally we get to the van and two kids have about 21 pieces of candy. And two kids have no candy. How many of you know that is not a recipe for sanctification, right? Let me have a piece of candy. No, I went to dad's office and got it. Please, let me have one. You have 21 pieces. No, if you wanted some, you should have went there. Please, pretty please, you always eat all the candy yourself. That's why you're overweight. Oh, yeah, but back and forth, right? And so I'm, I'm driving the van, and I go, hey, can you just please share one of your 27 pieces of candy with your brother. And I, don't, I don't remember which one, but one of them go, ah, oh, fine. Right? And they reach in their pocket, get one of their 27 pieces, then they give it to their brother or sister. Right? How many of you know at that moment, I do not care if that obedience was perfect obedience. I'm just glad there was obedience. I don't, I don't care if the only reason Gabriel gave Ethan a piece of candy was so that he wouldn't get in trouble with Dad. I'm just glad that Gabriel gave Ethan a piece of candy. I'm like, wow, that makes me happy that he shared a piece of candy, right? And in the same way, in the same way, our good works while they are not perfect works, our good works are and can be pleasing to God our Father in a way that causes God our Father to be grateful that we were obedient to Him. You can have a work that is not perfectly all the way there, but it is truly good and pleasing. It's pleasing to God. Do you have to come to church in order to be saved? No. 
But should you come to church if you are saved? Yes. Do you have to be nice to your neighbor in order to go to heaven? No. But should you be nice to your neighbor if you know the Holy Spirit of God lives in you and Jesus was nice to you? Yes. This is the way it lives. This is the way it works out. It can be a good work even though it is not a perfectly good work. And in that sense, as he says, know that you are led by the Spirit. Led by the Spirit. So there's two ideas here. There's number one, there's this examined initiative, initiative an examined initiative led by the Spirit. So, so earlier, remember what he said? Walk in the Spirit. What we say? Man, that, that requires a conscious choice. You're making the decision to live the way that you believe the Holy Spirit of God would have you to live according to the Word of God. Make a conscious choice. Now what he says is be led by the Spirit. That's more like the, the engine car of a train and it pulls all the other uh, train cars along the path. Are those cars keeping up with the train, the engine train? No, those cars are being pulled along. They're not keeping up with, right? So in that same sense, that's what he's saying here. Be led by the Spirit. The engine car is the Holy Spirit of God and it's leading you and when you are when you are making conscious choices to go after him, guess what happens? You will be led by, and he'll lead you and guide you along the way. Be led by the Spirit the same way. Number two, or letter B rather, enjoyed obedience. Look what he says. Against such there is, or, or verse 18 rather, but if you be led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. So, so what is he saying? Well, to be under the law means that you are relying on the law in order to get you a right standing with God. To be under the law means that by your performance, you get salvation. That by your achievement, you become worth something to God. Right there. That by some type of uh, religious obedience, God is somehow more happy with you or less happy with you. What he's saying is God sees right through that if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law, as in, you are not relying on your good works to give you a standing with God. But, if you are led by the Spirit, while you are not relying on the law, you are actively trying to honor Christ. So I'm not law-relying, but I am Christ-honoring. Do you understand that? Does that make sense this morning? To be led by the Spirit is not to say, oh, i, I got to be obedient or, or otherwise God's going to be angry at me. No, no, no. To be led by the Spirit is to say, listen, I'm accepted. I'm justified. God's my Father. I'm His Son. My inheritance is reserved, incorruptible. It cannot be taken away. I belong to Him. He belongs to me. And because that is true, I want to honor God. I want to please Him. I want to live for Him. I want to do these things that cause him to look good to those around me so that men will see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. What do, you think, what do people think about God because of you? It's a good question, isn't it? What do people think about God because of you? One more illustration, okay? Let's say you ask your kids to clean their room. Right? They're in their room for 20 minutes cleaning their room. 
You, you, you walk up into their room 20 minutes later, you notice that he or she has been working very diligently to clean their room. They're, they're over in this one little section of the room. They're, they're neatly organizing all of these little toys. They've neglected the better part of the room, but man, they're very diligent in this one corner while they're cleaning. Let's say you walked in, you realize that the, the bed was made, but that the sheet was not pulled tight. Wasn't, wasn't tucked under at the foot of the bed. You, you, you saw her organizing all of these toys, but the rest of these toys were just all put into one box. They weren't neatly organized. You, say, well, you walk in the room and you think to yourself, well, I could do better than that. I mean, I, mean, I could clean the room better than this. So, so, so what kind of parent would you be if your kid was in the room for 20 minutes working, cleaning, it wasn't perfect, but they were trying. What kind of parent would you be to walk in and go, what? You call this clean? Look how, look how loose this sheet is. You got to be able to bounce a quarter off the sheet. And this would never cut it in the military. What? You call this organized? I could organize Legos better than this. You got red and blue and green all together. That's not organized. What? You call this a folded shirt? This doesn't look like a folded shirt. Let me show you how to really fold a shirt. You're the worst room cleaner I've ever seen. What kind of parent would you be if you said that to your five-year-old? No, no. no. You, you walk in the room. You see the bed made even though it's not perfect. You see the toys picked up even though they're not perfectly organized. You see the, 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 sh the shirt folded even though it's not folded the exact way you would have done it. And you know that she's been working very diligently for 20 minutes. What do you say to her? Good job. I'm so thankful you got up right when dad said, I'm so thankful you went right to your room. I'm so thankful you've been working in here for 25 minutes. Hey, let's go get some hot cocoa or a nice cold Coke and let's just sit down and enjoy it. And when they slip out, you fold everything up and you put it all back the way you want it. It's a truly good work even though it's not a perfect good work. And that, that's, this is the same for you and for me. Oh, nobody's perfect. That's well, true. No, one's, no one is perfect except one, and his name was Jesus Christ. But just because we are not perfect does not mean we should not walk in a way that is pleasing and honoring to the Lord our God who saved us. In a way that causes him to look good so that men see us and glorify God because of us. In the same way, the Apostle Paul is saying in this passage, live. Live out the desires of the Spirit. Live under the leadership of the Spirit. Say, Pastor, why be obedient to God? Ultimately, because Christ was obedient for you and for me. That Christ joyfully submitted Himself to the cross on our behalf. Who, Hebrew says, who, speaking of Christ, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and was set down at the right hand of the throne of God. So Christ, who was without sin, gave Himself for you and for me, became obedient unto God, became obedient unto death, so that you and I who are sinners might be saved. That's why. Why be obedient to God? 
Because Christ was obedient for us. If you're here this morning and you do not know that your sins are forgiven, and you do not know that you have a place with God in heaven, and you do not know that you have a right standing with God, it is not your good works that give you a right standing with God. It is faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and Christ alone that gives you a right standing with God. If you've not put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, our plea as a church for you would be this. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. If you're here this morning and you have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, and my desire for you and my plea for you as a church would be walk in the Spirit. As we go from this place, walk in the Spirit. And you face whatever's waiting for you the rest of this week. Walk in the Spirit. When you see that neighbor who just gets underneath your skin, walk in the Spirit. But when you're sitting in traffic and they cut you off and that was not supposed to, walk in the Spirit. Are you right now led by the Holy Spirit of God? Man, that's that's my desire for me, for Amanda, for our kids. That's my desire for you as a church, for us, that we would walk in the Spirit of God. We'd be obedient to Him so that we would not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Let's bow our heads for prayer, shall we? Our Heavenly Father, we thank You for today. Father, we thank You for Your Word. Father, I ask that you would, Father, teach us great, wonderful truths from your word. It causes us to be obedient to your word. Father, thank you for all you've done for us. Thank you for all that you've given to us. Thank you for your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who died on the cross on our behalf. Father, we ask that you would give us the understanding to walk in your spirit. Be controlled by your spirit. I wonder, just with our heads bowed, our eyes closed, if you're here this morning, you say, Pastor, if I were to die today, I do not know heaven would be my home. I do not know that my sins would be forgiven. I do not know that I would have a good standing with God. Pastor, that's me, and I would like for you to pray for me. How many of you would say, that's me? Would you slip your hand up? Let me or one of our pastors see it. We'd like to pray for you. God bless you. Who else? Say, Pastor, that's me. I'd like for you to pray for me. God bless you. Who else? There's two or three. How about you, friend? Say, Pastor, would you please pray for me about that? Would you pray for me? Good. I think there's two or three that have raised their hand. If you raised your hand, or perhaps maybe you should have raised your hand. In just a moment, we'll have a song of invitation. I just want to invite you to meet me or one of our pastors right here at the